Good morning, Fairhill Church. Morning. It's good to be with you this morning and to be worshiping together. Now, we've spent the last few days, or the last few weeks, rather, talking about the, look, uh, the book of James. We've been focusing on the book of James, going through it week after week. But today, we are not going through the book of James. Today, we are talking about the election. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, preaching on the book of James doesn't really matter unless we actually apply, apply it to real life. Preaching doesn't matter. Your faith does not matter if it isn't applied to real life. So today, we are going to apply this kingdom of God that James has spent so much time talking about, how much time we have spent kind of exegeting. We want to use this time to think about how that kingdom of God applies to this election. All right, so we're all eager for that. So uh, there are three things that we need to remember if we're going to kind of relate to this election as Christians as we should. Now the first thing is that we have an ultimate call to worship the Lord. That is our ultimate call. Secondly, we want to remember the limited power of earthly rulers. Their limited power. And third, we want to remember the reign of our true King Jesus Christ. We want to keep those three things in mind. And the hope is that we would approach this election in a Christian way. Where we can have hope in the midst of this election. And we can praise our Lord Jesus Christ, the true King, in the midst of this election. So to do that, we're going to be looking at Psalm 146 and applying the principles of James. So turn to the Psalms, Psalm 146. All right. Psalm 146, here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Join me in prayer. Father, as we think about these things, we ask that you would be with us. We ask that your spirit would enlighten them to our hearts. We ask that they would not merely fall upon us and uh, be received deftly and, and as a waste of words, but that they would touch our hearts that we may approach this election with, uh, with much praise and hope and glory to you. Father, use your word by your spirit in the name of Christ. 
we pray. Amen. All right, so before we begin, we want to jump in with a little bit of context here. And I have a question. Kids might be able to help me out with this question. Now, is this a psalm for happy times or a psalm for sad times? For hard times or for good times? What do you think? All right, we have some whispering hard times over here. <laughs> Should hope so. All right. But that is the case, actually. This is a psalm for hard times. That though it may sound joyful, it is, in fact, for the hard times. There would only be one time when you would be tempted to trust in princes. To trust in princes. Getting the swishies. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> There's only one time you'd be tempted to trust in princes, and that's when times are bad. Now, when was Israel tempted to trust in princes? It was when they were being invaded by foreign armies or oppressed by godless people or when they were in the midst of a famine, starving to death. At those times, you're tempted to trust in princes. Your eyes start to wander, and you start wondering, well, Maybe this invisible God isn't going to come through. Let's find a more tangible source of power, a more tangible source of salvation. And so they, they start to look to these political powers. Now, as you know, I'm studying for licensure, which means that you have to learn all the chapters of the Bible. You go through book by, by book. Casey's, Casey's drilling me. She's doing a good job, better job than I am. Um, and you'd be surprised how often God tells his people, do not go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. Woe to you who go to Egypt. Basically saying that when you get into times of trouble, don't align yourself with Egypt. Don't run there. Don't ask them to send their armies and deliver you. But that is the temptation. He has to keep telling them, no, no, trust the Lord. Don't trust, don't trust in princes. So this is a psalm for the hard times. And in the midst of these hard times, we have this kind of unlikely encouragement. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He's essentially saying that no matter the circumstances, no matter what is happening, you have an ultimate call. Humanity has a calling to worship the Lord. Whether those times be good or bad. Now this election probably doesn't have you guys eager to praise the Lord. Now many of you are bitter. Many of you are disillusioned. Some of you have checked out altogether. Some just feel confused. Some want it just to end. But ultimately, you are called to praise the Lord. That is what you are called to do in all things, but especially in times of trouble, in times when you are nervous, in times when you are fearful, times like these. But how do you do that? Well, look at the second part. So first we start with praise the Lord. Then we have praise the Lord, oh my soul. Now what does it mean when we put that oh my soul part in there? Is that just for, for hymns to make them sound more spiritual? We often think so. Now, this, is, this is a psalmist talking to the soul. Basically, looking the soul in the eye, the heart, and saying, you know what, soul? It's time for you to praise. You need to praise the Lord right now. 
Because the reality is that in the midst of these times, you are probably not tempted to praise the Lord. You probably don't want to, fit to praise the Lord. Your emotions and your feelings and your heart doesn't feel in a worshipful mood. And what the psalmist is essentially saying is, look at your heart and tell it, shape up heart, tough beans what you think right now, you are called to praise the Lord. And you're going to do it whether you like it or not. Because that is your calling. I think we need to hear that message today. We need to learn the art of speaking to our soul and to moving past our fear or anxiety and telling our soul to do what it is called to do, to praise. Now, why am I stressing the praise of the Lord in a sermon on politics? Now, I have to say that in the midst of, of all this political turmoil, we can start to get a pretty narrow focus. As James would call it, we start to receive a lot of earthly wisdom. Wisdom that is unspiritual, wisdom that is earthly. Now think of the speeches that you hear. Think of the news updates. They focus around the world. And they have this narrow focus, which seems to, to imply that what happens on Tuesday is life. That it will determine the future, that it will shape everything. It starts to kind of grow and grow and grow until it is too big. In our minds, it's too big in, in America's mind. We lose track of what we are actually called to do, what humanity is actually about. Now, what is the primary calling of the church? Some of you might say that the primary calling of the church is to change the culture and change the world. That is kind of emphasized oftentimes. And it's implied that maybe the calling of the church is to influence culture by political influence. Now, I want to say that that is a half-truth that can become a lie. It is a worldly wisdom. Now, if you're looking at politics and looking at elections as kind of the church fulfilling or failing in its task, then you've limited your perspective too much. You've limited your perspective too much. So yes, the church has lost certain political battles. Maybe the law of the land does not reflect the law of God as it should. There are certain things that, that our country has deemed good that are not good. But that does not mean that the church has failed. That does not mean that the church has failed in its primary mission, that the American church has done. Because our primary goal is not to influence culture. That is one of many purposes of the church. The church is supposed to influence culture. It's supposed to kind of stem the flow of sin and suffering that has resulted from the fall. And one way it can do that is through politics. But I want us to see that that is one very small piece of the pie. That is one small skirmish. And our main goal is not to change culture. What is our main goal? Our main goal is to praise the Lord. To praise the Lord. And whatever happens Tuesday, that goal will not have changed. 
Whatever happens in America, that will not have changed. No matter what happens in this country, no one can stop Christian people from praising the Lord. Now you put us in prison and we'll praise the Lord in chains. You cut out our tongues and we'll praise the Lord in our hearts. You put a bullet in the hearts of Christians and they will praise the Lord in spirit and in heaven itself and in the new kingdom to come. We cannot lose our primary goal. It cannot be taken from us. And we cannot lose sight of it. Look how it said in verse 2. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. So long as I am a person and I am here and I am alive, I am going to praise the Lord. Now there's something very encouraging in that, very liberating, because we recognize that we don't have to get as invested as we are in a lot of these battles. That we can recognize with some comfort that, no, no, my goal will remain the same. My goal will remain to praise the Lord. But it's challenging as well because if that is your ultimate call, you are responsible to fulfill it. And there's a lot of other things that we can kind of uh, take a, a back seat in. That's where it's easy to be all about politics because we aren't actually that involved. But your primary goal is not politics. Your primary goal is not these other things. It's to worship the Lord. Which is at the very core of your heart and your soul. You battle that every single day, every hour. And that is what you're ultimately called to. By making it about politics, we actually make it all too easy on ourselves. And we miss our responsibility. So there are things that you are not able to control. You are not able to control this election. You do not know who is going to win. But you are called to worship. So I would ask that we do whatever we can to make sure that this Tuesday we worship. Now what does that look like? I want us to kind of vow here and now not to complain and be bitter whatever happens on Tuesday. Not complain and be bitter. Not let the sins of the tongue prevent us from worshiping. We need to resolve to do that because that will be our natural tendency and our temptation. We want to refuse to question God's goodness. To not let those doubts creep in and say, well, maybe God wasn't in control of this one. No, refuse that. Continue to worship. Refuse to think that God's sovereign plan is flawed. That maybe in your pride you could think of a better way of doing things. No, praise the Lord that he is in control. That this is his world, and that he is doing what he sees fit. And then, go and do what you are responsible for. Go vote. Go vote with a spirit of worship. That this vote is, is your act of worship, and that is why you do it. You're also responsible to pray. To pray. Pray for the voters. Pray for your own heart. Pray for the candidates. Pray for whoever wins. That is your duty. That you are responsible for. And if you don't like who wins, you are called to pray all the more. 
to pray more, not less. These are, it's not like, oh, I'm not responsible for them. No, you are responsible for them. You are to pray. And third, you are to praise the Lord. Because that is your calling. That will not have changed. Now, to help us with do that, we have our second point. We are to remember that every prince's power is limited. Verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Now, if the last point was kind of mostly for people who think that they have lost on Tuesday, this one is for those who think they have won on Tuesday. You are called not to put your trust in princes. Now, what does that mean? Now, it doesn't mean don't trust princes. This does not mean never trust a politician, right? That may be good wisdom, but that is not what this verse is about. No, this is saying, don't put your hope in your politicians. Don't get so deluded as to think that they are your ticket to happiness. Or that that other candidate would have been your ticket to happiness. That anyone would be your ticket to happiness. Because ultimately... Politics will not solve your problems. Because your problems are not political. Now, you all know that. Your problems aren't political. But your problems also aren't, aren't social. They're not economic. Your problems are not even circumstantial. That's what we have learned in James. That your problems are not circumstantial. It's not the stuff out there that's causing the problems. James would say that you can actually be suffering. The whole world can be falling, out of, falling apart around you, and you can be joyful, and you can be peaceful, because you know that God is in control. Likewise, you can have everything going right and still be bitter and miserable. Politics are not going to change that struggle in your heart. Politics may stay, change the circumstance, but circumstance is not everything. We need to remember that. Now, the Israelites had to encounter that. When they were being oppressed by foreign nations, they would look at it and be like, well, we would just be okay if we weren't being oppressed. We'd be okay if we weren't enslaved to foreign nations. And what did God tend to tell them? He would essentially say, no, the reason that I'm putting these foreign powers in place is to show you that in your hearts, you are enslaved to idols. That you are oppressed spiritually. And so to go out and try to find some other nation to save you is just going to reinforce the fact that you are worshiping idols and that you are lost in lies. Those things cannot save you. That is what God wanted the people to see. And we also need to see that, that no politician will save us. That no politician will save us. So let's say maybe, maybe they do eliminate all taxes and make world peace. Maybe they reinvigorate this economy to be amazing. If you are greedy, you will still be greedy. If you are discontent, you will still be discontent. If there is no peace in your heart, there will be peace out there, but no peace in you. So we have to recognize that politicians will not, will not save us. They cannot save us. And they will also not save the church. They cannot replace the work of the church. I think we like to think that, well, if the church were in total control and we put our politicians in place, 
then, then we could really get this work done. But that's a lie. The politics, uh, changing the laws, changing the, the Supreme Court rulings, those things are not going to impact people's hearts. They are not going to save people. They're not going to save our culture. It is a false hope. We are trusting in princes. We need to remember that, that no president is going to be a savior. It is very important. There is no salvation there. For you, your family, for America. So, do what you are responsible for this Tuesday. Seek to fight sin and misery. Seek to worship the Lord, but do not seek salvation. Do not seek salvation. And we don't seek salvation in them because this passage tells us there's not real power there. There's not real power there. Verse 4. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now, I hate to break it to you, but this next president will be a human. They will be mortal. And they will not have power to fight the powers of good and evil, the real conflict out there in the world. Now, there's been a weird tendency this election to act like, for the first time, there are two sinners running for president. <laughs> the, that they, maybe these people are immoral or unrighteous. No, that has always been the case. That has always been the case. That will always be the case. There is no one godly. There is no one good. There is no one right. Maybe relatively, but not really. All right, who is, who is the greatest king to ever live? King David, maybe. But think of that man. A murderous adulterer in the end, right? A scandal in the polls, that would, that would cause some havoc. But that's like as good as you get. We have to recognize that, that our political leaders will not win the battle between good and evil. That is a battle that they are fighting in their own hearts as well. And so we cannot expect them to overcome the real battle that we believe in. They do not have real power. Now, ironically, that is talking about princes, right? Princes. Now, they could kill whoever they wanted. They could take whatever they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted. And the psalmist is saying they don't have real power. Now, what about the president? If a king doesn't have real power, the president doesn't really have that much power either, right? With checks and balances, with, with impeachments, they really can't get away with whatever they want. They're only in office for four years. Imagine when, way back when, your only solace, if you had a bad ruler, was, well, they will die one day. <laughs> That's what it is. They, they'll die, and we'll be okay. All right, you have a, a met, much better consolation. No, four years. Four years. That is as bad as it can get. Now, that's not much of a comfort, maybe, but it's something, all right? It's something. All right, their power is limited, so our hope in them should be limited. All right, so that's the more negative side. Let, let's turn to the positive side. We have a real king who is powerful. We have a real king who is powerful. Now, notice, it's kind of weird. This passage never talks about earthly kings. It only talks about earthly princes. I think it's trying to emphasize the fact that there is no real king on the earth. 
that God is king, that God is Lord. Verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. God alone has real power. Power to create and destroy. Power over goodness and evil. Power to change the world. Now in that sovereign power, God will choose someone to be president this Tuesday. He will have planned it from all eternity. He chose who would win the primaries. He chose who would be on the ticket. He already knows and has chosen who will win. That is the power of our God. He will work in and through the votes of the American people, but he will ultimately choose. His sovereign power will not change on Tuesday. And that is why we continue to worship. Because we know that he is still in power and he's still ruling. He is still working all things in his kingdom for the good of those who love him. Now, unfortunately, that might not be much of a comfort to you. That God is exercising his power because some have emphasized that maybe God, yes, maybe he is exercising his power, but it's the power for judgment. That maybe God is judging us in this election. Now, I want to say, maybe, maybe that is true. Maybe that is true. Maybe God is giving us truly evil leaders to reflect that we are truly evil people. I think that is a possibility. But my problem is that there's a false implication that Christians will be wiped away in that coming flood. That is what is implied. That judgment against America will mean judgment against kind of the heavenly citizens who happen to live in America. But that is to miss the themes of Scripture. That is to miss what the Bible says about God's judgment. So let's take some examples. So God judged the world in the flood. We have the flood. But in the midst of that flood, Noah and his family were saved. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, but not without the salvation of Lot and his family. We have the destruction of the tribes of Israel by Assyria. But Judah makes it out unscathed. Then Judah is judged in the exile. But there is a remnant of those who faithfully follow the Lord. And they make it out. In all these cases, we show that God has power to judge and still protect his people. That God could legitimately judge America... And still care for his beloved who live here. God is powerful enough to do that. His power will not change on Tuesday. And his love for his children will not change on Tuesday. Now look at the nature of this king. Partway through six. This is a God who keeps faith forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those bowed down. He loves the righteous, upholds the widow and the fatherless, 
brings the, way, brings the ways of the wicked to ruin. Now, that is our Lord. That is our God. And he is going to be that God, whether he's bringing America under judgment or not. That is his heart towards us. And he can do that. He can make sure that if America is judged, there is still a spiritual caring and loving for his people. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that? You, Stan, Stan believes that. He's not his head. We must believe that. That is how God works. That's how he works in everything. That he's always using even the suffering in the lives of believers for our good, to love us. That does not change. Now, this is hard, but it might come that America is a place of persecution for Christians. That is a legitimate possibility. And that will not mean that the church has failed. That does not mean that, that God is abandoning this nation. No, what would James say that means? What are we supposed to do if we are being persecuted? Count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers. James would say, no, this is the Lord teaching you that your joy is not in this kingdom, that it is in the kingdom to come. He's actually showing you where your real source of joy in life is. And you will be more at peace, more joyful, more comfortable than you would have been ever before. No matter what happens, our position with the Lord will stay the same. No matter what happens. But that brings us to our third point. What is our position before God? What is our position? How do we know that we are his children? Well, we know that we are his children because the King Jesus Christ has chosen us to be his citizens. We are part of his eternal kingdom. Verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Now, how is that righteous forever reign executed? It's executed through Jesus Christ. We put trust in that one prince. The prince of peace, the king of kings, the lord of lords. And we put our trust in him because... He's the only one trustworthy. He's the only one, the only son of man in whom there is salvation. All the rules that apply to all these other princes are not true of Jesus Christ. Now, when his dying breath departed, did Jesus' plans perish? The people thought they did. They put that, they put that crown of thorns of his head, on his head said king of the Jews, mocking him above it. The world thought that in killing Jesus, they were killing his plans. Because that is how it's supposed to work with princes. When they die, their plans perish. In Jesus, when he died, his plan was executed. His plan was finished. It is finished. When he perished, he was bringing about a spiritual kingdom an eternal kingdom. He was being victorious over our true enemies, not taxes or powerlessness, 
He's bringing victory over sin and death. Victory over sin and death. Now, if God can do that with, with, with the, the death of his son, if he can bring victory out of death, life out of death, he can surely bring America through a time of, of suffering or judgment and bring us out with a spiritual victory on the other side. He has proved that he can do that unlikely work. He did that on the cross. That is just how he works. Jesus was victorious in his death. Now look at, look at uh, verses 7 through 9. Verses 7 through 9. The verses 7 through 9 remind you of anyone. Justice for the oppressed, food for the hungry, imprisoned, set free, the eyes of the blind opened, lifting up the weak, loving the righteous. This is Jesus. That Jesus sought to fulfill his reign on the world by sending Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus Christ to die and defeat the enemies. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he proved the most powerful leader of all time. He died for his people, and now he is sitting at the right hand of God. He is sitting enthroned. And he is interceding for us before that throne, speaking to God on our behalf. Jesus is our politician, our representative before the Father going before him and telling him, no, no, I, they are good. You need to just, just love them, just bless them. No wrath for them, because that has already been taken care of. That is our position before God. Because of Jesus Christ, our King. That is an unchanging position. That when we think of the plans of God, we think of Jeremiah, he has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. This election, let's not look to put our hope in princes. Let us put our hope in the true king. Who has a true hope. A true joy. A true salvation. That is lasting. That is powerful. That is rooted in love and grace. Jesus Christ is reigning. He's reigning here and now. He will reign after Tuesday and he will reign for all eternity. Let us praise and worship him as our true and good king.